This Week in Startups is brought to you by Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash this week in startups and Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. We've got a huge treat for you. Uh, Toby from Shopify is back on the program. I'm not sure when you were last on the program, but I know we were up at your HQ uh, in... In Ottawa. Ottawa, was, right. And this was 2000, I like 2013. 2013, I have yes. it here, yeah. August of 2013, episode 375. You were not a public company. I don't nope. know how many... What was the footprint of Shopify back in 2013? Oh, that's hard to say. Um, like less than a hundred people, maybe. Yeah, something about there. Yeah, and we just sat in the lobby of. It's like two two hundred something. Like it, it was, but small, smaller. And at the time, this was a kind of a you had a very strange thesis. If I remember correctly, the idea was Amazon would not win it all, and merchants would want to have a direct relationships with their customers, and that if you focused like a maniac on servicing those stores, you might be able to build, you know, a modest, moderate building, a business. How did it go, Toby? <laughs> went okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know what? Like the funny thing is, honestly, um, I mean, first did of I all, describe it correct? By the way, yeah, like you're no, no, you're, you're exactly right, exactly right. And you know what? I, I actually. Uh, I remember the setting. So this was, we were at a conference, right? Like uh, uh, it was called Accelerate Ottawa. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and you, I think you were there because, um, various reasons. I, I think you were interviewing Shamath on stage, right? Yeah. Shamath at that time decided he wanted people to know his name. And he was like, you're the best interviewer I know. Let's go places and you interview me. And I was like, okay. And that was like <laughs> one of the stops. We went there, Waterloo and Harvard Business School. That was nice. like a little tour we did back in 2013. So the, I, I remember us sitting down and um, we, we were com- uh, having this conversation about Shopify. And, and um, uh, the, the funny thing is, I, you, you're making this almost sound too deliberate because when you said earlier that I had some kind of a thesis about how to act- build something of, of, of any significance, uh, I, I don't think I did. I, I honestly, I was just sort of following, like, um, like I, 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 I found this need to to start to make it easier to make online stores relatively early in 2004 doing my own. And then I was like, someone needs to really just make this um, more accessible because I, the only reason I, c- I could do it was because I was a programmer. And then um, it's really just been one step at a time since then. It's, 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 it's now incredible, like how, how um, uh, you know, like this, how the story continued. But uh, I, I don't think I knew this. I, I do remember that you in an interview we're making also like you, 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 you had some statements in there about the potential size of a company and the hundreds of millions. And I, I was like, 
I'm going to revolve with this, but I'm not entirely sure that Jason is, <laughs> you know, being serious or it's just, a, <laughs> so, um, no, I, I, I maybe I not underestimated it. You know, in interviewing, you know, thousands now of founders in my career, first as a journalist and then as a, an investor, I was just struck by how laser focused you were on this very specific problem. And I was like, yeah, you know, there's got to be like, I don't know, a 100,000 people out there with a store. And if they each gave you $1,000, or maybe they gave you $200 a month, like, that's like a lot of money. It could be like $20 million or something in revenue. It could be huge. <laughs> I was just like, I do this back of the envelope. Yeah, yeah, right. Give me an idea of the of um, the trajectory over those, you know, eight years since we last spoke, basically. How, were there moments along that journey that you uncovered things that made you realize, wait a second, this is a bit of a big opportunity, even bigger than you know, what I originally thought, what were those like seminal moments? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically an unbroken chain. Um, uh, I have an unbroken track record of underestimating how <laughs> the potential of my own company, which is, uh, I hope will continue. Um, I think a couple of, uh, like, like, I mean, we, we got lucky in the way that the world sort of rearranged itself around the thing we were building, right? Like it's, um, uh, pe people are, are talking a lot more about entrepreneurship now. Uh, when mm -hmm. they suddenly did in 2013, people are like, everyone realizes that the internet is kind of just the thing, right? Like I, 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 I recently heard that, um, something like 85, 90% of all the money on the planet actually only exists in, in, in databases, right? Like the, the world economy is digital. Um, there, there is no such, like the world concept of e-commerce is kind of, um, not, I think the, the right idea. And so that became clear and, 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 um, uh, you know, COVID accelerated things enormously, uh, like afterwards, because everyone realized just how important it was to, you know, the, even if you had an existing store, like it, sometimes you, you have to, like, you are not accessible anymore if the streets are shut down. And, um, I, especially the small and medium businesses mattered a lot. Yeah. I mean, the most entrepreneurial thing you could do historically, I think in the history of humanity, it's open up a store and give somebody goods in exchange for coins. I mean, that's basically the history of humanity, modern humanity is that people would go to a market, show their wares, and try to provide value to people. So this idea that it would go away, um, or that one person would win it all seemed strange. So uh, it, it does seem like this constant tension of like, well, why wouldn't people just put their stuff on Amazon and the third party sellers never came to pass. And since the time you've been on, I've had multiple direct to consumer brands say, mm -hmm. being on Amazon is the kiss of death. It's it's a waste of time, you get ground down to the bottom, we want to have a direct relationship with our customers, we want to know who they are. And we want to have their contact information. Is that the core dynamic that sort of created these two different ecosystems the shopify ecosystem and then this like amazon third-party seller race to the bottom ecosystem yeah and i, I wouldn't even necessarily put it so in, in such stark contrast I, I i think the i think the right idea is that um if, if you're direct to a consumer brand you need a home base somewhere um and I, I, ideally you do this on the open web why because it's the one place you can actually own like uh, mm. on the entire internet uh, every other service you pay uh, for the impression or, or, or you, you're renting it from someone. Right. And um, 
So, so once you have that, you can go out from there. Like I think Amazon is a very good sales channel for certain products, and 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 people should use it um, if, if it's appropriate. Um, it comes to upsides and downsides, and I think that's. Um, uh, you know, just that might, might be a good fit. In many cases, um, people use, uh, Facebook to find an audience and, 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 uh, advertising on, 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 on Google AdWords or TikTok now at any of the channels. And I think this is the key. Um, I, uh, different products work in different channels, different messages, are, are, are move different. And to your point, commerce is extremely, um, uh, related to 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 human history, it, it's very hard to figure out what came came first, the the, the cities or the, the the trading posts, right? The um, the shop at the crossroad was probably the founding uh, event of any of the modern cities, and um, you know, so so people have been trading with each other for, for forever, and then the, the entire relationship of um, I'm making a thing um, that some people find extremely valuable, and therefore they give me something of value back, either barter or, or currency. Um, has just been part of, 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 of human history for, for a very long time. And this is, this is hugely important to bring, um, with us to the internet. And I think so, um, everyone has something like everyone can add to this. Everyone who wants to add new products should be able to. And was the, how important was payments and getting that built in? Cause we just talked about bartering coins. When you started, did you have payments in or did people have to bring their, they believe they had to bring their own merchant account, right? Yeah, right. Um, I actually built a really po uh, popular open source library called Active Merchant, which is just, just does nothing else than make it so that you can connect like to 80 or 100 different payment gateways that, 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 that I built initially with Shopify. I think what, um, became, uh, uh, apparent eventually is the thing that really um, people don't tend to realize this, but like friction shapes the world a lot more than um, uh, policy in most cases. And um, what we found, uh, this was a like an, a hypothesis initially, and became a, 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 a and became something which we confirmed through building Shopify is that whenever um, because initially, so, so to set the setting, when first times I went around Silicon Valley trying to raise any kind of money for Shopify, I got a very similar, uh, uh, like I got a good pushback of, you know, do there really need to be lots of online stores? Isn't there going to just be sort of one of them? Or like maybe there's like, f like let's say 10,000 or 40,000 or something. And I, I think 40,000 was a number that I got in one reject rejection letter. Um, there was just not, no agreement that there was uh, value in, um, making all uh, like, like making it easy for people to start stores because there was a limited time. And um, I think that is actually that was good pushback. I, I think that was actually right. But the reason why there was only 40,000 online stores on, on, on the web of the last decade, um, in the early uh, 2000s, um, was that uh, it was just too hard. So what we've realized eventually, the, the hypothesis we had is like, every time we make it simpler, what we actually get is just more consumption because the demand was very high, but the ability to overcome the friction along the way was, was, was simply not that well distributed, right? So, so, so payments in, in, in very roundabout way, payments is like the perfect example of this because, um, even I almost gave up when I started my, my snowboarding store at, at the very beginning of this journey. Um, because it was, I didn't have credit history in North America moving from Germany. And it was just really, really hard to get one of his merchant accounts. And there's a lot of gatekeepers, uh, involved. And, um, I, I only ended up doing it by, uh, like it, very, it, it was very hard and it would, it would have been easy to give up. And so what Shopify has attempted and, and, and with payments, especially, uh, it's just to remove all these barriers and, and, and make 
make ideally everything happen only once you need to. Like once you have a bunch of sales and want to get the money paid out, we, you will then be able to tell us where to send it and then we can do all the provisioning of the merchant accounts for you. How much money does your startup spend on all these different software products? And how much time does it take you to integrate them all together? Let me guess. Too much time, too much money. Well, Odoo is here to help. That's spelled O-D-O-O. It's a suite of business apps that runs your entire company on one platform. I kid you not. And if you're currently using a Frankenstack of individual software solutions that don't talk to each other while you're wasting your time, energy, and that precious money you raised for your startup, Odoo streamlines your workflow and brings all that information together. Your workday will be more productive because Odoo's integrations eliminate all of that repetitive tasks and data entry that you have to do when you're when you're doing a Frankenstein, right? Plus, if you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, that's all you pay for. Odoo won't stick you with the bill for the apps you don't use. You pay for what you use. Odoo has an app for every business need. They offer 30 main apps that are updated regularly and another 16,000 from their active community. For instance, Odoo offers a suite of financial software that'll help you keep your books tight with accounting, payment tracking, invoicing, and more. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. Go to odoo.com slash twist, odoo.com slash twist to check it out, odoo.com slash twist. Take the $1,000, put it in your account, and then use it when you're ready. But get it now because I don't know how long the offer is going to last. It really is a reoccurring theme as you watch what happened from, you know, the inception of the web in 95, 96, when it started to get commercialized and all the way to now is it was so hard to get anything done that it was causing a very small number of people to do it. And every time mm -hmm. an entrepreneur makes it easier, more people participate. And I think one of the great examples when you were talking about this was just thinking about like um, web publishing. And I was yes. just thinking about, I just had Matt Mullenweg on the pod and Evan Williams has been on the pod. We got to have him on again, but it was like just putting up a web page was so hard. You had to get Dreamweaver and build it or get, uh, before that put up a server. And now if you want to put up a web page, you can go to Squarespace or WordPress, or even if you want to say something, you can kind of just do a tweet. Like, boom, it's up on the web. And and now, of course, everybody participates. Everybody publishes stuff all the time, whether it's photos. And Flickr was like this nice waypoint, right? If you think about the history of photos online, we all remember when Flickr came out and they created like an upload tool. Do you remember the upload tool they had? Like you could download an upload tool and be like, okay, we're going to get your camera roll off of that camera and your memory card and put it on the internet. And now we all have these incredible devices. The app store was the other piece, right? I mean... At some point, you added an app store and let other people build plugins. Was was that a, another major inflection point on the it, on the journey? It absolutely was. Um, uh, it's a. Uh, I mean, I mean, again, com commerce is complex. Um, it's 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 very very hard to um, build software that can address a lot of different use cases. Um, and and the inspiration there was really the operating systems. Like you, you have to. Like an operating system that does a good job modeling the primitives um, can can then be used for for everything. Um, again, like in, in many in many um, you invoked the nineties. Um, the nineties, like it was very hard to do anything with the internet, and but it was also very idealistic um, in, yes. in this way. Ex because explain to people who weren't around what it felt like for guys like us and and everybody else who started joining this. 
what that revolution was. I would, I mean, I would love to know your story there too, but like, um, I'll for give me, you mine I, if you give me yours. Yeah. Yes. I, I remember when the internet came to town, like, I mean, the whole concept yeah. is funny. It's like the first ISP basically, um, yeah. at the local university. And, um, uh, I mean, I, I sometimes think about this. I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out at the point before that happened, what would be the one way how I could have communicated with people who weren't, who I didn't know, um, like, I, I guess I could have caught in some kind of radio, sh live radio show or something like that. Yeah. But that would have been the only way of how you can serendipitous communicate with people who don't, you didn't have a phone number of. And, um, the, the, so, so it's hard to take people back to the times when that was ordinary, but like, it was profound to see the internet, right? And, and realize that you can go in a chat room and talk to people or, or put up a website, which then, uh, you don't even have to be there and then, and, and, and people could interact with if you had the technical ability to do that. And I think a, a favorite pastime would, was what would a world look like in which doing these things that we now are possible are going to be everyday things that everyone could do and, and, and in which ways would that change the world, right? And, and, and I think there's a, there's a good deal of idealism that, that came from this. And, and, and some companies, I think, are really born out of this, like out of this world and, um, are trying to kind of like make something significantly simpler, but then also build a platform for everyone to make it even, even simpler. And I think this is, um, uh, we, we, like Shopify fundamentally is an implementation of, of, of these ideals. Um, uh, and we want, uh, like we want to make sure that, um, people could like for the, um, could, could solve the problem that it was very, very hard to build software that, that, that helped small and medium businesses. Right. So the, because the, the, the dynamic of, I mean, usually when someone, when there's a really, um, valuable market somewhere and people look at it and say okay i mean I, not everyone solves but search like it's really really valuable and then you can you know like you build a company that is the search I mean, engine that, and then that was the one i was thinking about when you said like it was so idealistic and google came along and said well what if we index the world's data and everybody had access to everything people don't remember that if we wanted to get information we'd be like i wonder if there is a book about you know, C++ yeah. or Pascal or whatever, you know, thing we wanted to learn about. And then you go to a bookstore or a library and you would ask people, is this, is, does this exist in the world? And, and online was originally like, you could ask other people for information and people might be like, yeah, I have, I have a file on my hard drive. I can give you a file. I have something about chess. I have a, you know, a document about that is really uh, idealistic when Google and said it. We want to index the world's information and make it freely available to everybody. Now we just take that for granted. Yeah, like and it, it was profound. It was a profound experience. Um, yeah. when, when, when it first time. What what was the first time you got it? Got to see Winter? I mean, well, probably I mean, a different experience was, from it coming to town, given from where you. <laughs> it, the I was on bulletin board systems in the eighties, like PC yes. board, etc. And so we were using modems. I had my first modem was a three hundred baud Ventel. Then I got a twelve hundred baud Hayes modem. And I was like an assistant sysadmin on a PC board. And what was very interesting about that is there was no internet there, but you could plug in two modems into one computer if you had enough slots or maybe even three mm -hmm. or four. And then four people could be online at the same time and chat with each other. And then yes. we just basically used message boards like forums and you would be get a busy signal. You would post it and then you just let it keep getting busy signals and you'd war dial it until you got online. 
When you did, you would post a bunch of comments and then you were supposed to get off as a courtesy to everybody else. And you would download all those messages, read them offline and then go and upload them. And that was my first, and we were trading software like Chess Master and stuff like that. We were just trading wares at the time, <laughs> hacked software. But then I went to Fordham in 88 and they had the internet. And I remember this guy, Jose, uh, was like the night manager and we would be in the computer room and he was using the send command to talk to this woman he had met in like Brazil or something and they were going to meet each other in person and there was a send command and then there was like gopher and FTP and this is all before the web existed and people yeah. were trading files and then you would send a message and my my distinct memory was it said hopping from Fordham to you know Duke University to Miami to Mexico City to here to here to here and then we wait and 60 seconds later we would get a message back and so it was literally like a 30 to 60 second delay chatting with this his you know girlfriend he'd never met in Brazil and my mind just melted I was like how much does that cost and he was like zero dollars I'm like what and it was called bitnet and he was like, well, there's ARPANET and there's BitNet. We're only on BitNet, but there's a bridge over to ARPANET. I was like, how do you get on that? And like, oh, we can't get on that. We're not supposed to be on there. <laughs> but this is before it was commercialized. And that, that was my first kind of moment long before the, the web browser existed. I, I, I mean, we, we, I mean, all of what you just talked about is like a siren's call of just never coming out of this particular, like, <laughs> like part of uh, like history, because uh, this was just so in, like BBSs and ASCII. And like, yeah. I, I remember being able to tell, um, the make of a modem on the other side just from the handshake uh, uh, sound, yeah. right? Like you, you could always you could always uh, tell the six of modems. And, uh, yeah. I, I, but but anyway, I think we have to like, unfortunately, like no one's no, interested I, in that. This is, you know, this podcast exists for me to have an interesting conversation. And if anybody else happens to like it, that's fine with me. Perfect. But let's Love keep it. geeking out on this. What was your first computer? I, I got a um, a Amstrad CPC, which I don't know. It's a basic, um, yeah. like a basic computer, but it was a European make. Um, uh, really good device. Um, wow. What, would it have cartridges or a tape? What no, did it, it use or, for storage? It, it had. Uh, it, it had one of the first uh, hard disk drives, and um, <gasps> oh, wow. uh, which was mind blowing. It even had color screen, or at least some colors, and uh, it was a good machine. Uh, it, there wasn't a lot of games uh, for it, partly because the games were made for C64s and so on. But um, it was great because, you know, back then, um, it was like Byte Magazine had like, uh, it had like game listings in basic on the back. And so, so you typed all those. And yep, this is you can make your own snake yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, exactly, these kind of things. And then, you know, like... People forgot that. Like, in order to play a game you would be given a piece of paper by your teacher and they'd say, type these in and you would type the code in and then you'd run it and then you'd be able to play the game. So you do like an hour of typing and then the game would run because it didn't mm -hmm. exist anywhere. And then eventually floppy disks, hard drives came. You didn't have to actually do that, but it could take, you know, five minutes to load a piece of software and to get it to run. Oh, easily. Easily. Yeah. My first computer was called an IBM PC Junior. Uh, and it had the, one of the first floppy disks and then two cartridges um, and a modem. And it was really cool. You could stack these cards onto the side. You'd slap these cards onto the side and connect them. And then eventually they had a hard drive. And, you know, that, and then I became like an IT guy. And I just would <laughs> make 15 bucks an hour when I was 15 years old in 1985 when the minimum wage was 250 I had like 
jobs for 10, 15, $20 an hour doing like databases and building stuff for, you know, medical offices and stuff like that to keep track of their patients. It was pretty cool. Like that moment in time. I, Im I imagine you had a very similar experience there because, um, um, I, I, again, I don't know how the people around you, but like in my case, again, I'm from a little city in, in Germany and I, I, um, uh, this all existed in, in, to, to me, but like, I didn't really know anyone else who, who, yes. who had computers. And, um, I, I remember at some point in my teenage years, I don't know what particular event it was, but like, I, I at some point I had this sort of, it might have actually been uh first experience around the, with the internet where, um, I had this sort of like this experience of now seeing, I know everything around me is going to change mm. very quickly throughout my lifetime. Um, because, um, just like it, it was so clear that you know you go through a normal day and I, I you know you went with my parents to some kind of passport office to 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 then you know wait in line and fill out a form and 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 you know on the other side the person was just sort of typing something in a typing machine and that was filling out another thing and then the, and I, I had all these questions about how this works and at some point I had this realization of you know at the end of all us people doing all these things it's just going to be typed in a database again. And, and I know that we can end to end this really, really simple. Um, and um, I, 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 it was something along those lines, maybe not quite so uh, de detailed, but um, I had this experience and I think other technology people who come, came in touch with technology in, in during this time had this probably as well, where you just knew that you knew something about the world that is hard to explain yes. to everyone. Listen up, everybody. I got an amazing offer for you. LinkedIn is going to give you a $100 credit. That's right, $100, a hundy, toward your first LinkedIn advertising campaign. Over 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their most effective social media platform for reaching their objectives. Why do they say this? Well, they say this because there are over 62 million decision makers on LinkedIn and they mean business. Imagine you're about to launch your marketing campaign. It's well tested. Everything is going according to plan, except for that one thought in the back of your head. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? And the answer is LinkedIn. When you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people, obviously, who are ready to do business because they're on LinkedIn. This means your campaign will work as hard as it can as soon as you launch it. LinkedIn equals business, business equals LinkedIn, and LinkedIn can help you reach your short and long-term business goals with tools for brand building and lead generation and targeting a professional audience down to their job titles is how you're going to get really that incredible ROI on your investment in advertising. And you're going to engage people who you know based on previous visits and outreach, right? So you're going to keep track of that funnel, do business where business gets done, and get a hundy $100 in advertising credit towards your first LinkedIn campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash this week in startups. Again, linkedin.com slash this week in startups. Terms and conditions apply because they're giving you a hundy. Well, and then you'd meet somebody and they'd be like, yeah, I know I have a computer too. And you'd be like, whoa. And then you would just spend mm -hmm. 10 hours talking about all the different things you're doing. And I, I actually, you know, when I get that sense again is looking at the crypto folks, mm -hmm. it's almost like they know that, yeah, okay, the arc of history is going to this yeah. like distributed system. It's going to be on a blockchain. Nobody's going to control it. There's going to be hashes. That's how you're going to do it. And it's going to change everything. They kind of see a future that if you're not writing that code or you're not involved in it. And I feel like the biotech people, like people working on like synthetic biology, like it's almost like they can see the future and none of us actually understand what they're working on until they make 
the vaccine for the pandemic in two days. Yeah, and mRNA is just like, yeah, no, we got you. <laughs> Here it is. And then we spend a year trying to figure out if it worked. And they're like, no, it works. We made it in 48 hours. mRNA is like a real technology. <laughs> and everybody's like, how do we know it works? And they're like, it works. Here, <laughs> here's yeah. the code. It's yeah, I crazy. mean, that's just crazy, like profound as well, right? Like we now can um, modify cells in a software addressable way, basically. Like, it's not exactly it, but like you can yeah, actually compress it into the sentence. Metaphor. Yeah, you can, and it, you can, yeah. How, 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 what, what, how does this planet look different in 20 years based on, on this? I mean, like, how is it looking differently by the end of this year already, right? Like, it's not like, it's not even theoretical at this point. Um, I mean, I think it's, we're pretty safe to say this is the last pandemic. Like, if we have another pandemic and the, the mRNA people are going to sequence this stuff, they're going to have the solution. And then it's really just a matter of looking at our process of these like multiple phases and going, you know what? Just do a challenge trial. I don't know if you know what a challenge trial is, but no. So it, it's very simple. It's really interesting on an ethical basis. I'd be interested in your thoughts on it. You can, it, you can either give thirty thousand people a placebo and thirty thousand people your vaccine, mm -hmm. and then see who gets COVID and who doesn't, and then study it six months later, right? Or we could get a hundred volunteers. Give 20 of them one vaccine, 20 of them another vaccine, 25 of them another vaccine, and the fourth group, a placebo, and then give all of them coronavirus on purpose, expose mm -hmm. them to it on purpose. This is considered the height of unethical in medicine. But we do send astronauts to space, and then if there is a new airplane, somebody's got to do the experimental flying on it. And people ride motorcycles 200 miles per hour on the autobahn and do all kinds of we send people mm -hmm. to war to fight over oil or whatever like the idea that we wouldn't do a challenge trial is just crazy like i don't understand the ethical dilemma here if people are informed and they have consent we could we could have saved the the 10 million people who died or you know in, in covid could have been half of them 90 percent of them 90 percent would have been saved if we had just done a challenge trial and now there's a bunch of scientists who are saying we need to rethink this concept of challenge trials. And they're actually doing them in the UK right now with volunteers who are young, because obviously COVID doesn't, thankfully, you know, impact the young like it does the obese or the old. So anyway, the 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 mRNA stuff, if we do challenge trials, we, we could basically kill the next pandemic before it ever gets on a plane. Or we even become aware of it. I mean, this is what I, I, I love optimistic take on it. I, I, I agree with you like I, that um, uh, we really, really, really need to learn from this. <laughs> there, there's, there's tools you didn't have here. Um, and, um, uh, you, you know, like we, we, we can build a much, much, much better society on, on, on top of the lessons um, that came through, through this because I think it's like, it, it, I think it really gave us a sense for um, the kinds of like just challenges that, on one side, we, we, we can see on our other side, the kind of challenges that we can overcome by, especially thanks to technology, like, well, or science, uh, yeah, uh, science. in this case. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, do, what do you think the big lessons are coming out of the pandemic? What, do you, what realizations did you have? Because it's, it becomes this, when you pause society for a year, and we're taping mm -hmm. this literally in the week, we're, we're 50, we're literally exactly 52 weeks from when San Francisco was shut down, like on the March 10th ish timeframe, what did you learn from all of this? Like what, what's your takeaways now that we're kind of in the end game? It's hard. I mean, it's hard to make it 
like like even even put the bullet point list up it's it's um i i, I think i think almost every model and theory that uh i i had about how to work together how to um uh, build things um got either invalidated or got uh significantly higher resolution like i i, I for instance i you know i i believe that there was like no way to replace uh proximity as a factor in um uh building fantastic products like you you kind of like proximity of a team is just so powerful and so multidimensional and the osmosis effect of just people talking about the problem and the third person like say like listen to it learning from it or, or even having an idea and you know all these kind of things um i didn't think it was replaceable but clearly isn't is incorrect because incredible software and, and things are being uh 100 percent correct we were wrong the, Matt Mullenweg and Vision and 37 Signals, right. Jason Freed, they were right. The problem was, I think, you need to have 100% participation in buy-in. Exactly. And it was very hard to get that. But when everybody basically has a gun to their head and it's like, you have to work from home and we have to figure this out because there is no choice. You can't get on a plane. You can't sell this software by being in a meeting. You can't, there's no whiteboard. Figure it out. Get a camera at home this company we're not pausing the company we have to move forward yeah and so i, I guess one, one learning on the other side there is that the thing that um was important for for for, for high quality product creation is um uh high fidelity um teamwork and mm -hmm. i i think you you kind of it's one of those things you get automatically by proximity but you don't need proximity to do so like mm -hmm. as long as everyone has like good internet hookups, um, like reasonably good cameras. And it's just like, it's not like, you know, the angle where like you get on a call with everyone and everyone's like, so sort of, it looks sort of up into the nose. <laughs> and, 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 uh, uh, you know, like if, if you can, if you can actually get a small team together where everyone has the right kind of setup and the software is there to support it and you have some like, um, finangled's way of, of having something that works almost as well as a whiteboard that people have sort of you like, I mean, this is the worst the software will ever be for remote work right now. Um, and then like this moment, it will only get better from here. And it's sure. quite, you can, um, with all the right kind of boundary conditions, you can put some really, really high fidelity, high context teamwork together. And, and that works really, really well. So that's, that's been fascinating. What did you learn as a manager of people? remote because my superpower was my ability to sit with somebody or take them for a walk or have dinner with them um, and my also superpower like doing an interview was to be in the same room yeah. and be able to connect with somebody by looking them in the eyes i said i will never interview somebody over zoom or go to meeting or skype because it's just i i felt like i couldn't have a real conversation here we are this is like one of the best conversations i've had all year like and we figured we seem to have figured it out um, but I'm wondering, like, in in the as a as a manager of what do you have? Ten thousand employees now? I mean, it's got to be thousands. Not right? quite. Yeah, yeah, something um, six, seven thousand. Yeah, seven thousand um, employees. So, so like going you to ten. To, yeah, yeah. I mean, you 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 have some number of direct reports, some number of meetings you used to do with groups. Like, how how did you adjust as a manager? What best practices have you adopted, created, or improvised? I think. I mean, and, and the book on this is still being written, right? Like, uh, this is, um, 
it is an extremely challenging time to for 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 all leaders. I mean, for 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 absolutely everyone, but for leaders especially, because I think the bottom dropped out on a lot of the tools we've had. Like I, I a lot of situations that just arise uh, when uh, you know people disagree with each other got resolved by you know everyone getting in a room and, and just starting from the top and saying, hey. All of us agree that planet Earth is a pretty good place to live. And then, um, you know, like you, you just sort of take it from a big picture and, and then you, you, you walk down, uh, the list, uh, and say, okay. And here we arrive. You think we should do the package management of our application this way. And you think we should, you know, like after this, everyone's like, you can do this in one room, but mm. like doing in a zoom, zoom call feels weird. And so mm. I think this is the interesting thing. Um, I think we just, like at least I, I can't speak, I speak for myself, but I've heard this from other people, so maybe it's general. I, like the culture hasn't built correctly around uh, uh, video chat before, right? Like, I, I, and and people who study the history of other communication devices, like the telephone, actually point out that this is a very ordinary thing. Like, people used to uh, calling someone uh, ended up. Um, I mean, saying things like this, you know, this is the Lutka residence or something like this after, you know, <laughs> and there was an entire formality. Like, in, in, it's, you know, yes. so, so I think, I think the interesting thing is eventually people realized, you know what, let's do telephone kind of a way we just talk to each other. And mm. I think, um, a lot of people realized, Hey, there's no other way to go. So let's just do video chats kind of a way we used to do things together. Mm. And all these assumptions about what works and what doesn't like, I mean, Maybe we had to adjust a bit in certain certain things, but it kind of worked. It kind it of worked. worked. You know what I did? I just put my foot down with people and I said, you have to have an Ethernet connection yeah. on your computer. You have to have a proper microphone because I'm, I'm a podcaster. So I know what a proper microphone is. You have to have a proper microphone. You got to get that goddamn Ethernet cable. No Wi-Fi because it's garbage. Mm -hmm. You need to have a proper processor. So you need to have a computer from the last 12 months, 24 minimum. Uh, and you get a digital SLR and a proper light ring, yeah. and you and I have these perfect setups. And then, of course, Zoom and and other platforms have really revved on the software to make it really tight. And and now here we are. Um, and then people also know how to use their mute key when they're not talking, and they know the quick key Alt A. You know, toggle your sound on and off if you're not talking, and how and how to like run an agenda. But I, I had to learn how to manage people. I just told everybody, listen, I, I don't want to manage anybody anymore. I don't actually get enjoyment out of, out of it. If everybody could just put, here's an idea, and I basically gave everyone an idea. Just at the start of the day, put in Slack what you're working on, one bullet or three. I don't care what it is. And at the end of the day, when you're done, reply to that same one with what you got done and if you need help with anything. Ah, that's smart. Mm -hmm. I call it the SOD and the EOD. Start of day, end of day. And then I say on Friday... And, and it should take no more than five minutes. That's the key. And then on Fridays, just give me your EOW and share it with the entire group transparently. And don't put in silly stuff like did email or had lunch. Just put the major points that impact the business. And it's not a contest for whose is the longest. It's a contest of, you know, if anything, how productive you want to be in the company, what kind of contribution you make, but then also tell us uh, it's a contest to see who can inform everybody and how in sync we can be with the least amount of meetings. Right. So it's almost like totally. a video game of how can we just do less, but be more informed. Right. Uh, and it's worked. Some people, it doesn't work. You know, what I found too is some people weren't actually doing a lot. <laughs> and then there was this like pervasive fear, like, oh my God, I'm a great culture person in the office. Like, I'm, 
you know, very uh, affable and people like me and, you know, I, I, I'm great by the water cooler having a cup of coffee, but am I actually plowing through stuff to get us to a goal? No. Um, and so it kind of actually made people aware of who in the organization was actually carrying the bricks and who was building the wall. And then other people were kind of sitting on the side, like getting coffee for everybody, which could be a value pursuit, don't get me wrong. But I did find this has become a great, um, it, it makes things more, I don't know if you find this, but it, it kind of levels the playing field for a lot of the the newer employees because everybody's the same. Like you, you mm. and I have the same Zoom window as CEOs as the same size as everybody else. It's not like it's proportional as opposed to an in-person meeting. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I thought I would bring Christina Cassiopo. I pronounced it correct. I'm hoping, Christina. You got it. Yep. All right. You're the founder of Vanta. Uh, people have been hearing your ads on the pod for the last year. And I thought it'd be fun to have you on and you to explain why you created Vanta and what SOC 2 is and why it's important people get it right. So let's start with what is SOC 2 for people who are just realizing they have to become SOC 2 compliant? For sure. So SOC 2 is at a high level. It's sort of a customer asking you to prove your security. So if you've heard about one, it probably comes, you're probably a B2B company and you're, you're doing sales and somebody asks you, hey, can I have your SOC 2 report? Or, you know, hey, can you go through security review? Or they usually don't phrase it like this, but hey, I'm going to put a bunch of data in your product and I want to know if you're actually going to be secure or leak it over the internet. So they ask you to get a SOC 2 report. We know it's 20,000 to 50,000, maybe even 100,000. You know, if you roll your own, you do it manually. What does the average Vanta customer spend? Yeah, so the average Van Vanta customer spends less. So kind of 10,000 on up from there. But then even in, in terms of the cost savings, it's a ton of time savings. So rather than kind of giving up an engineer or two for a year, which is just super painful, sort of no matter how large your company is, it cuts it down to can be 20, 40 hours on the low end. All right, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And you've been very nice to our audience, giving them $1,000 off, uh, which is a really significant and generous offer. Go to vanta.com slash twist, V-A-N-T-A.com slash twist to get a thousand dollars off your sock too thanks christina appreciate it thank you so much no i think it's fascinating i i, I again I, I, it's going to be hard to uh suss out the second order effects of this i i'm um i think i'm i'm, I'm really optimistic on the like uh like all remote work i think i think the best companies in the world will be built completely remotely with, 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 with really you no know, um uh like but at least no stated headquarters. I, I don't, I think they've like being together in person is still going to be very, very important. Um, but, uh, more deliberate, I think. H how do you plan on doing it when you get out of this? I know Canada has been a little slow on the vaccine. I don't know what you guys are doing <laughs> yes. up there. What is that about? Like, how does, how did, I mean, you guys seem to do a great job of controlling the virus, but you didn't plan ahead to buy the vaccines. And then we did a horrible job in America at controlling the virus. And we did 3 million people yesterday, which I think, what do you have, 30 million people in Canada? Yeah, something for them. Yeah, something like that. We did 10% of Canada yesterday. <laughs> yep. Like, we're going to hit 6 million a day. We could do Canada in a week at the at the pace we're going. What happened in Canada? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, not an expert uh, like at this. I, uh, but, um, I mean... <laughs> uh, leverage certainly helps the United States. Like, uh, you know, once... The U.S. really, 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 really wants vaccines. I think um, 
yeah, a lot of vaccines go to US. <laughs> so we have I, a lot I, of I money and tanks. <laughs> <laughs> lots of uh, lots of uh, uh, people to call who uh, will really react to uh, a very strong inquiry. I think that really helps <laughs> with getting getting a lot of vaccines. Um, so uh, I, I don't know if that's a big factor. I, I don't have a line on the truth on what, this. Um, well, putting that aside, um, let's assume everybody gets vaccinated, this thing goes away in the next couple of months, which is what's happening here in America, thankfully, finally. Um, what are you going to do? Let's say we're in September and there's zero cases or close to zero and zero deaths. What's your first, you know, sort of move as the CEO of this giant company? Do you bring everybody together for a big party? And do you start thinking about letting people <laughs> come back to the office? How, how, how do you or have you even started that planning or is it just better just heads down and not even think about it yeah i mean lots lots of conversations about it it's not clear to us uh, right now exactly how to how to do it it's um uh we, we will definitely i mean it's so easy for us tech companies to 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 work remotely together uh, with everything we've built for ourselves um so we should not rush to be the first ones back together because i mean that comes with risks now if the risk is zero it's a different situation um so yeah. i i will find out you have some giant headquarters you're paying tens of millions of dollars a year for i'm assuming if you were yeah. housing thousands yep. of people have you gone back to it and how depressing is it to to write that check every month for this giant office space <laughs> that is empty. It's got to be infuriating or is it like just some weird like, you know. And some cost. I, some I, cost, I, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, you got to be fatalistic about it. It's, it's certainly yeah. not helping us much right now, but uh, it's, yeah. But, I, but, I'm not, I don't want to think too much about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Trigger, you. <laughs> I mean, some people were yeah. like, think about like, I think it was Pinterest in, San Francisco, like, decided to build an HQ, right? Which mm -hmm. is like, what do you do when you go public and you get a big, you know, uh, war chest of capital? You're like, I should build some awesome place for us all to get together. They build the mothership for Apple. And they just paid like $100 million to cancel it. Yeah, they paid crazy. a kill fee to cancel it. Crazy. And probably saved a lot of money doing that. I mean, it, it, I think that's so. the decision. That's, be that's the way they want to go. Yeah. Can you imagine writing that check? <laughs> it's $100 million <laughs> for me never to set foot in this office that's yeah. got to be the that's the worst speeding ticket you'd ever pay no, no. It, like, I, here's, here's 100 million dollars uh, to, to 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 buy the right for me to not get the thing but uh <laughs> yeah i'd like to cancel my order for my ferrari yeah, uh, here's a million dollars oh well <laughs> don't bring it oh well <laughs> um I, I actually, to be fair, though, like, yeah. I mean, that, that shows a significant, like, the sunk cost fallacy thing is a real thing, right? Like, yeah, like, if, sure you, if you're able to pull that off, like, make that hard choice, if it's the right thing, then, then, like, I mean, that's, that's a really good indication that that's a very well run company. Um, because, uh, you know, again, it's hard to do these things. I mean, the sunk cost fallacy is so, so real, isn't it? You, you, you face it as a developer all the time, right? And you're, you started as a developer. Do you still write code ever? Uh, sometimes yeah yeah you miss I, being you know 12 hour day coder that's a really good question um i i think the 12 hour day coding has never been a goal but sometimes happened just because there wasn't anything more interesting going on on planet earth than figuring something out right like it's um so in, in a way that's not the objective but um i love coding i i find i find I think we are all, I think the narrative around programming is 
more interesting than people realize just because really since blacksmithing we never really had a craft that makes whether whether craftsmen actually make their own tools right and i think there's um um uh you know like you know the I, who, who said it like uh first we make to the tools and then the tools make us um yeah i mean I tool making that, is i've heard it yeah yeah it's, i think uh, i mean Marshall, primates make tools right like you see these yeah. gorillas take sticks and stick them into the anthill to get the bugs out to eat to get the ants out to eat it's a it's it, a thing it, it's purely cause and effect though like like for for primary purposes like i think i think what i think what we do is uh, i mean but uh, we, we are genetically no different in the last seventy thousand years right we went uh like so so the difference between um us back then and now is really the tools we have available that like and, and the stories we tell each other right and um it's amazing that you can put people on the moon um or, or you know go to space on reusable rockets and do all these things and have the internet um based on just tool building upon tool building and then and, and of course um software is like the ultimative uh play of leverage because you have this zero marginal cost copying um uh infrastructure that everyone on planet earth can add to and and constantly come up with try to come up with better ideas so i'm i'm like this is the thing that i'm really really uh, excited always by and why i love being a programmer because the leverage you get as an individual being able to build something that then is available to everyone is just enormous right like obviously shopify is a good example of that um and uh i you know i think that's like that's really really important there's so many stories about you know what you said earlier uh is, is totally true about you know ethernet plus uh like dslr camera and an sm7b microphone um but in a way like we need technologists to come in and make it so that someone can buy a single thing and then plug it into yes. one thing and then all of this needs to work well right and right. we need to marshal the in complete infrastructure that we've built around machine learning to mm -hmm. to 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 take tiny microphones and make them sound good and we need to uh you know like all of this like there needs to be like significant movement to mm. make the setup you and i have here uh which we can do because we're tinkerers um available to everyone this kind of democratization of good A things studio. yeah good is important right? yeah. yeah well i mean it's it, it's really interesting to i love the the thought of the compounding nature of software and it's also happening in hardware now. If you just think about what happened with the smartphone yeah. revolution, if we hadn't, and Apple hadn't produced and an Android phones, billions of smartphones and billions of batteries and billions of charging stations and got obsessed with how fast can we charge these phones, it would have never trickled down into your Tesla and that would have never trickled into your quadcopter. And now the quadcopters, I don't know if you saw Joby is going public, Reed Hoffman's taking it public with Mark Pincus, and I said Reed on the pod talking about it. That would have not been possible if Elon haven't made a million cars with those battery packs because yeah. now the battery management and fast charging allows you to have a VTOL. So you're going to be able to go from Ottawa to the airport in a VTOL, you know, and it's going to have eight rotors and it's going to like, I would never get in a helicopter. Those things are death traps, but a VTOL with eight, rotors and two go out and it's just the software's like oh two rotors are out <laughs> just redeploy the energy and it's done um mm. and it feels like that's happening with software so quickly i mean startups today i had a startup that built a million dollar business basically on slack like just charging people subscriptions to go into a slack room and i was like there's no you don't have any developers so no no we just we <laughs> charge people on this stripe account to mm -hmm. go to this landing page and then they are in a Slack instance and we built some glue with, you know, Zapier or this and that 
the no-code startups I'm seeing, which actually is what Shopify is, right, too. And people can build an online store with no work. What's the story with your international expansion? Is that is that where the growth is coming from now for you? Or is it just in continuing to add products and services for the existing base? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the growth is uh, just, I, I, again, it's, it's I think it's, it's digital retail time on planet Earth because of COVID. So uh, it's really kind of everywhere. And um, uh, I mean, a lot of a, a lot of the reason why people use Shopify now is because of this idea around multi-channel, which really just like we work with Facebook and TikTok and everyone, right? Um, to 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 help uh, bring commerce into in, in, into these channels. Um, but there's a lot there's a lot of things going on. I think to 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 like the theme that you talk about with hardware, like there, there's sort of a commoditization of particular um, uh, units of hardware, which makes them cheaper and then uh, they can be used. But there's almost a more, well, maybe, maybe not more interesting, but to me, like it, it's a really tangible story. I want making more more things software addressable. Like this is uh, like mRNA is, 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 is makes something software addressable or quasi software addressable. I think TSMC, the company, is ma made basically made hardware uh, chips software addressable. Like you can buy a license from um, from ARM and and a couple of methods, and and, and you can get a chip made uh, stamped Crazy. out pretty quickly. And and um, it's just uh, we are doing. Um, uh, a lot of this around uh, uh, fulfillment warehouses, like we are building software to make fulfillment warehouses software addressable in a in a proper standardized way. Do you so have we can warehouses? Build this. Do, you, yep. do you? Yeah. So you have warehouses, so, and then I guess the there's all these companies doing shipping robots that move the pallets around and pack the boxes. Yeah, and exactly. That stuff. Exactly. Exactly. This is the kind of thing we ought to do, and uh, and work with a lot of other people who are doing these kind of things because we we really think that um, a lot is going to happen once. Um, um, the various fulfillment warehouses, which there are a lot of, um, can be addressed by API in general. And then you can build very, very intelligent systems on top of that, uh, to, um, like we have something called the Shopify fulfillment network that, um, um, ba basically abstracts the entire, like just like payments, it abstracts the entire world, like logistics away from people, right? In such a way that you just send products to nebulous cl product, product cloud and then they show up wherever they are ordered. And that's kind of, I'm, that's a degree by which entrepreneurs want to think about logistics. It, you know, it's interesting you say this, the number of people doing direct to consumer product companies has gone 100x since five years ago. I used to see like, you know, Dollar Shave Club and mm -hmm. Casper, Warby Parker, whatever. And now every time we do a new accelerator class, I get like 20 of them. And I'm like, how are you doing this? Like, well, I have like somebody in China makes the hoodies and then they send them to this fulfillment center that my Shopify store. And then I put it on Facebook and I connected and yeah, I sold 70,000. I was talking to somebody who sold 60, $70,000 with a hoodie in, in a month. I'm like, how did you do it? She's like, well, I contacted like five influencers and then I, you know, ordered them and they shipped them to a fulfillment center, one of yours and boom, they're in business. And I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. So then by making all of that, transparent this woman was able to focus just on what the hoodie should be yeah. and now she's got a hoodie that's got like a her innovation was to put silk in the inside of the hoodie hmm. so it doesn't mess up your hair and women have gone crazy for these and yeah. she makes whatever 40 bucks a hoodie and she's just printing money and she doesn't need to know anything about fulfillment or payments or building a website or even making the hoodie she just needs to know like this is what the hoodie should be yeah, pretty wild. So we, it, it's pretty wild, and it's like it's it's it's, it's almost again the, the, the jumping around in time here. But like, do you remember the? Um, uh, I think Kevin Kelly wrote it. The, the essay around a thousand true fans. 
Of course, um, yes. It was of course. one of yeah. the seminal ones that broke our brains. He was like, if you just have a thousand fans in the world, you'll never be poor. You can always make a living. Like comedians can go, yeah. if you're Joe Rogan, if Joe Rogan lost everything and just had 1,000 true fans who he could charge 10 bucks to come to a comedy show, he can make $10,000 anytime he needs to. Right. And that's a that's very, very, very different vision for um, like the direction the internet could go, right? And in, in, in somewhat, like depending on how you observe the internet, and in, in some cases, in some ways, it went against that idea, right? Like it's it's very much, it, it ended up like most parts of the internet sort of got, um, uh, and ended up aggregating together to one player. And um, I think I think it's really, really, really important that we preserve the opportunity space on it, um, so that uh, this one thousand true fans thing can 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 work its magic. Because I think it's really, really important for economies and 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 and, and so on. Well, also, I mean, people having the ability to have fulfillment in life. And to not be, you know, a wage slave or just be worried about their future. The I, I'm really fascinated by what's going on with like Patreon only fans. Yeah. And now Twitter's like, you know what, Jack's like, I don't know if I like advertising. I think I'm just gonna let you subscribe to people. And then I don't know if you've seen this on YouTube, but a lot of YouTube channels now, it's like every other video you have to be a member and you can not you can subscribe or you can join. And there's mm -hmm. two buttons on YouTube now. I don't know what's going on with creators on YouTube, but back to the thousand true fans and Substack's another great example. You get a thousand fans to pay you $10 a month as a journalist. Mm -hmm. You're making $120,000 a year. You're giving 12,000 to Substack, you net 108,000 and you're getting paid 70, 80,000 by TechCrunch. Who's not gonna be free? Who's not gonna take that deal? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it it's it's sustainable, right? It feels sustainable. I, I think so. I, I mean, I, I, the it depends on. I mean, it depends on always what you do. But again, like the nice, this is the beautiful thing that with a thousand true fans is like you, you like you're not going to make a fan out of someone unless you provide them with significantly more value. Like, I mean, higher utilitarian value than I think I guess for ten dollars a month. Um, so that, that's the exchange, and it's kind of there's a purity to transactions that is. Um, it's there's a simplicity to it. Like it's, it's a thing we have been doing, like exchanging something for 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 for, for uh, via a transaction for for cash is something we've been doing for tens of thousands of years. Everyone gets it. It's it's um, if it's not too disintermediated through like channel ownership and merchandisers and limited shelf space, uh, like someone saying, "Hey, I I, I want you. I, I'm this thing you have. I'm buying this from you." And I'll do it again, especially is a, like it's it's a, it's a extremely potent way for you to vote for something needs to exist more in the world, right? I mean, and I think that's really, 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 really important. It's so powerful, as you're saying, because back, you know, to 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 Leb, you know, you have skin in the game, right? I don't, I'm sure you've read some of his yeah. books, but this act of saying this has value in the world. Here's the ten dollars. Even if the object is not worth $10, you give people $10,000. I, I watched this um, uh, channel on YouTube after every Knicks game. That's the basketball team that I follow in New York. And this guy CP does a live stream after every Knicks game and between 2000 and 6000 fans coalesce and they listen to him talk about the game. And then we ask <laughs> him questions. And I kid you not in the chat room, they have these like super stickers. 
and people give $2, $5, $10. And I've seen people giving $100 or $500 once, $200 tickets. And I talked to him about it. And he's like, yeah, you know, I could almost quit my day job working at this big financial firm if I wanted to. And they're not, they're just doing it optionally. They're, it's not like you have to do it in order to even consume the content. It's not a requirement. It's, it's, a, it's a tip. And that's like the next level of this is like, wait a second, everybody's going to be like a Medici family. Like, I, I just want this art to exist in the mm -hmm. world. I'm going to sponsor it. And angel investing is is the next piece, I think, to fall. If you just think about startups, mm -hmm. what was your first round of funding? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I remember it well. Um, first, first round of anyone external was, uh, I mean, six years after the company started, like $7 million investment. Like right. round with Bessemer leading. And so Bessemer put seven million in the company's worth mm -hmm. at the time, 10 million, 20, like, well, maybe like, 50 yeah, million. 20 something. Like, right. yeah, not so they buy more. a third of the company for seven million. That's worth 30 billion today or something. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Pretty good, good investment. investment. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Bessemer. I think you returned every fund in the history of Bessemer for them. <laughs> Do those guys, uh, did they send you, I don't know, a bottle of wine or something? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but I mean, I don't, honestly, I don't think I would have made it to this point without, like, I, I really, like, especially, um, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy and Trevor, who, uh, they made a huge difference. So I know it's like unpopular to, I, I don't know, I don't I, know what I'm I saying. I think actually this, that is the right take, which is if somebody supports you early and it pays off. I mean, any founder I've ever talked to has been thrilled to see the bet pay off. Totally. It's like, <laughs> thank you. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have that capital. Uh, but the point I was about to make is, as we make um, software and networks that just make it frictionless to vote with your dollar, and this is why I think the, the one piece of crypto I really love is the frictionless voting. Imagine if that 7 million was... 700,000 people for $10. And mm -hmm. they and they got the 10x the 10,000 x return. And you made each one of them a million or something. I mean, that would have been even more wonderful or equally wonderful. And that's yeah. where I think the world's going to get to is imagine somebody post a startup idea, like on a Kickstarter, or Indiegogo or the syndicate or AngelList, and people could vote globally, but would be limited to $10 per vote. We could vote every day on ideas we want to see in the world. And big ideas don't, you know, many hands makes for light work. This ability to make small bets is just so powerful. I'm, I'm so encouraged. I, I love that vision. I, I hope you're building this. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the problem in the United States is I am building it with this thing called the syndicate, but the problem is you yeah, have to right. be an accredited investor right now. Yeah. And there's all kinds of caps and limits. So we're really trying to protect people, but we're limiting you know, the arc of humanity, because and I think ICOs were just this, it was people making these crazy bets. Unfortunately, the people involved in it were maybe less than <laughs> upstanding, or they actually weren't builders, they were more just charlatans in, in most of uh, my cases. So the company, if I remember correctly, when we talked was making 20, 30, 40 million bucks a year. 2020, you did $2.9 billion? Is that right? Yeah. Oh my lord! And profitable, right? Yeah, yeah, profitable. Um, like 1.7 million merchants 
Um, wow. I mean, talking about the 40,000 that people assumed would be existing. Um, it's, 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 it's big thing. Like on, on Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday is our busiest weekend, sort of our, you know, uh, I mean, so our Super Bowl basically, um, uh, is, uh, we, we did five, over five billion dollars of, uh, sales, like wow. in those, in those couple of days. And uh, that was super gratifying just because again, like there's a lot of very small businesses behind this and, um, it's it, it just was really like it, it's it's such a meaningful thing to be able to help so many like building a business model around helping others feels really good <laughs> so it's, well, it's, it's very it makes it easy for, for you to hire people and have people stay at the company because you're enabling all these people to make money every day and make a living just yeah. like ebay did or i think airbnb has that same yeah. kind of feeling every day it's like wow we empowered these hosts to, to pay their mortgage every month in some cases, or, you know, if they got laid off and they were doing this as any job. But literally doubled revenue from 2019 to 2020. Is that right? Yeah. Like what's uh, the entire retail, retail sector got pulled, like pulled forward in time, five years or 10 years or some of <gasps> something between those two things. It's like you look at the curves and it just, it's, it's a straight jump to, uh, right with COVID. So, and so that will taper off a bit or, it will level is that has that leveled off now or is it just still going parabolic it's hard to know where which yeah. direction it's going yeah yeah i mean i watched i don't know if you saw disney today hit an all-time high it's like the idea that it's so interesting what happens during a pandemic is it it forces people to get so focused disney's like well i guess our north star is now disney plus <laughs> since we, we there's really no discussion people are stuck at home there's no movie theaters there's no, I mean, I guess people could buy merchandise, but they can't come to parks. They can't go to movie theaters. Everything has to be Disney Plus now. The entire company got reoriented into Disney Plus. Oh, yeah. And I think they hit 80 or 90 million members. In a way, that's what happened with you too, correct? Yeah, exactly. I, I, by, by the way, I, I think this is another, we talked earlier about the, you know, sort of the lasting changes of, of COVID. I mean, I, I, we, there's an entire conversation around cities losing the monopoly on the best jobs in the world, which is again, a fascinating thing that'll make a lot of changes. But like, I think one thing it did for at least the companies that, I mean, for, for a lot of companies is everyone had to kind of rederive all the things they were doing, um, from first principles, um, at the beginning of this, right? Like everyone, you know, I, I don't think Disney plus would have gotten to get the primacy that it now has with, with, with Disney, um, without COVID, at least so quickly. You know, there's a lot of shenanigans going on in large companies, especially when one thing is sort of threatening another. Um, but, uh, you know, in our, in our case, we really, we, we, we said, let's zero budget everything we are doing. Let's throw all, all, all the plans. Let's rederive the projects we, we've got going. And it was actually kind of amazing. I went back to the list of things we cut at the beginning of, of, of COVID about a year ago. And I now realize, like, I thought we were focused, but we kind of weren't, right? Like, it, it, yes. it's, it's amazing how many small things um, made sense when you sort of organically, like, we, we did this, and then we did this, and we did this, and we did this. And um, I, I know how we got there, but, like, that doesn't actually help merchants anymore, which is the only thing that matters, right? To, like, in, in our case, we are like, this is the one thing we want to, like, we want to make entrepreneurship trivial on the internet. And that's, um, that's, that's important. Um, so, yeah. 
It, it, it really helps. It really helps. It's, I mean, it goes back to, you know, but it goes back to uh, Taleb's uh, other book, Anti-Fragile, which I think is overlooked. I think it's his best book. Oh, it's um, fantastic. I mean, you figure out what's anti-fragile in a moment like this, for sure. Yes, exactly. And home delivery, you know, I mean, the, thank God, uh, you know, Uber's anti-fragile. Uber was the, the, the mm -hmm. penultimate example for me, or maybe Disney as well. Because if people can't go to a theme park or the movies, they have to stay home. And we now have Disney Plus. If people don't take an Uber to go out to dinner or go take an Uber to the airport to go somewhere, they order Uber Eats. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. wow, which I mean, you, you thrive no matter what happens in chaos. And your business is anti-fragile as well. I mean, if people go out, they need to buy their camping gear to go camping. If they stay home, they need to buy something to entertain themselves or keep their house clean. <laughs> Yeah. Or cook and and then and on the other side if people if you if you have a business and you no one can get to your store anymore then um oh, right. you need you need a way to oh. like get help i mean in in our case for, for, there's amazing stories of people getting together to 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 actually get all their local businesses online so that people could purchase from them uh, on the curbside pickup and 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 home delivery fronts just so that we could actually help their local businesses survive mm. and and I, there was a huge move to buy local again and I, I i mean i think this actually really worked in 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 our favor or at least is really uh um consonant with, with a story we want to tell because you know if no one buys from your local business but local business go away and 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 then you don't have that ability anymore to 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 walk there and and purchase things even in in the best of times and it's hard enough to make a small business work in 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 normal times so helping them yeah. through the pandemic was but really, now really important think about how anti-fragile they are coming out of this yes they had mastered how to run an in-person store then they were forced to master doing online when they had they probably didn't even have an email address for their business and they barely knew how to keep their Yelp profile open now they come back to the table and say, well, we could open up the store again. Do we want to do that? Or we would rather just grow this business 10% a month because the store was growing 10% a year. And an online store can easily grow 10% a month. But an in-person store cannot grow 10% month over month. That's just not possible. Mm. It's just you can't change the demographics of the area. You might be able to grow 1% a month or something like that. But you're not growing 10%. And now they have both options, right? That's yeah. what's going to be. What do you think happens to all these storefronts? If physical storefronts, all these restaurants, what do you, and, and all these office spaces, because we're talking about cities here. What, how, how do they, how do we redeploy office space in the world that people are not going to use or they're going to use? You'll probably go back to work, but use 10 or 20% of it, right? Yeah. I think the storefronts, I think they stay. I, 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 I mean, this is my hope. And anyway, I think, um, what, what I think would be the best if we could eliminate the either or decision because, um, I, and I think software has some, like role in this um you know keeping multiple systems up to date is really really hard but if it can all be powered like from like if it's all kind of perfectly in sync everywhere like um then it's uh it's actually not that hard to to, to run a physical location outside of a you know being able to staff it and uh, and uh, and so on and um i think people will expect businesses to show up in everywhere like like you like people want you to have um uh like a like a facebook shop if you click on something on facebook and or on instagram and then uh you know like a, like a physical store and uh um an online store and all these kind of things like meet people where they are is important uh, and i think now small and medium businesses are actually really well set up for this on on the side of uh corporate real estate i i i really don't know i i i 
I think it will be fine because it got underbuilt. Uh, it, it got really tight. Like, I mean, I, and, and only in other cities I was, we, we were growing in like uh, Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa and, and, and Waterloo mm. and so on. And like, we were struggling finding space everywhere. And uh, wow. so I think, um, I think, I think just, so be just fine. Take, there'll be a pressure valve. Like it'll take the pressure off. In San Francisco, it's 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 basically over. I mean, we have so much mm. office space, and rents went down a third, basically, or more. Mm. And I think oh. it's going to keep going down. I mean, it's really. You, I moved to San Francisco and the Bay Area five years ago because I was like, I want to see if I can be the best angel investor ever. I, I think I need to be there. I, I've invested in more companies remotely. I've never met the founders, and I'm. I feel like I'm making better decisions by not meeting them in person. Because it's all due diligence and no showmanship. So you eliminate the sizzle from it and everything just immediately gets down to brass tacks. What's the growth? Who are the customers? How much do you charge? And nobody wants to be on Zoom for more than 15 or 20 minutes. So you can see three <laughs> times as many companies. Mm -hmm. People are like, I got to get off this call. This is like making me mental being on Zoom all day. It's a, it's it's really going to... The other thing I find super interesting, you you benefited being in Canada with a different salary structure but people were getting paid typically 30 40 percent more to locate in san francisco and in the venture community it was getting impossible to get some top flight you know management team member to join your startup and come because they say i, don't, I just don't want to be in san francisco i'm sorry i just don't want to pay you know i want to have a house <laughs> i want to have a backyard i i can't afford to live there no matter how much you pay me and it's just too arduous and painful and private schools and everything now this whole concept of like somebody in San Francisco gets paid a hundred thousand dollars and somebody in, you know, Ottawa gets paid fifty thousand for the same work. I think it just all levels off to sixty k, you know, or seventy five k, whatever the number is between these things. So how do you deal with that salary? Do you have the salary differential by city? And have you had to deal with that yet? I mean, uh, this is a complex com conversation, and in some cases, you just had to kind of like we, we, we had to pay some additions, like st like almost depends on top um for like in, in san francisco for instance just because if it, if it just wasn't possible otherwise um and uh i i think i think the salary thing is sort of a sideshow i think this is gonna i think you're totally right it will it will normalize globally um i don't know exactly where oh, it's globally gonna meet. too right i didn't even think of that i was just thinking I, of the u.s and canada i i think this is i this is gonna be very like again the second order effects even of that are kind of fascinating too um, to, to wow, consider. I never even considered that people living in Costa Rica with a cost of living of $500 a month for their renting a house versus 15,000 a month in the Bay Area versus 4,000 a month, you know, in Canada. Yeah, or, wow. or, I mean, if you want to go into further future, think about uh, Atlantic Ocean with a Starlink hookup, uh, <laughs> like in international waters. So um, I, I, I think um, I, I I think the next 10 years will be sufficiently weird for all of us nerds to just kind of like, <laughs> like, like it, it keeps, keep things interesting. Um, we'll, we'll see people do things that, uh, are like completely sci-fi right now. Um, I mean, literally it, Peter Thiel could buy an old cruise ship or a, a, uh, an aircraft carrier, put it in the middle of the Pacific or Atlantic or dock it somewhere, make his own sovereign state like he was. He, he, he had some like didn't he have plans like this there was a sea island yeah company he invested in that was going to try to find an oil rig 
Yeah. Um, yeah that was there's no a thing called Sealand or like Sealand. That was it. It was yeah, in yeah, yeah, Wired yeah. like a decade ago. Yeah. So yeah. that actually is going to happen now because yeah. of Starlink. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't know but it could. Right. It like could. it's, it's because, because you can get the hookup. But uh, apart from that, like I, I, again, cities are going to lose. Like cities had a since the industrial revolution run with a monopoly on the good jobs. Um, and, and, and cities are very valuable. So this is something we probably shouldn't, like, we, 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 we shouldn't lose because they are really important networked cultural institutions of, you know, great progress. Um, however, uh, being able to work from, like, on your own terms for as good of a job as you can, you can find or find the right, like, you know, product market fit is a real thing, but like, I, I, I think you, you've talked about, uh, founder market fit before which i i loved um but there's there's really like a you know person company fit like it's it's this sort of alignment of worldview um like this, the, the the um the, the externalities of success in this company do things that are meaningful to me like where, where, where you kind of like can can let yourself like really 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 be into the company you work for and that's really depends on your own values in, right? yeah. and, and 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 like how often does this line up at that particular company it happens to just be in the city uh, that that you also happen to have built your life or your family is and and when people have to compromise between their different variables why like we, we, like it's 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 i i think people are going to make much more like better um like setups for themselves and i think that's going to be just a big uh well i mean as well Rest in peace, Tony Shea, my good friend um, who died last year. Um, I don't know, were you friends with Tony or yeah, do you know him? Yeah, it's really, tragic. I mean, really tragic. And, and I think the pandemic had a big part of it. Um, he's a very sensitive individual. And you just think about his philosophy of joy and happiness. And he built a company around that concept. He's truly a pioneer on so many levels. You know, first in terms of customer support and just saying we, we have to be ultra focused on those customers and make them love us and, and go any amount of customer service you can do is allowed. Like I remember him telling me that it, that was his basic like contest to see how crazy uh, a customer service person could go. And he told me the story one time. I'll never forget it. That like UPS or FedEx or whoever lost some shoes for a wedding. I don't know if he ever told you this story. And that, you know, they were going to come on a whatever, a Wednesday or a Thursday, the, you know, the dinner is on Friday night, the wedding Saturday. And the they're panicked, they're trying to find him now it's Thursday, still missing. It's Friday, they're still missing. And one of the employees just takes his corporate card takes the shoes from the warehouse and gets on the next flight out of Vegas, shows up at the wedding, gives them to the puts the shoes on everybody, <laughs> and then goes to the wedding. And then comes back. They lost, you know, $1,000 on setting those shoes, but the greatest story in the history of the company and what an amazing message to send to the rest of the company that there's things yeah, that right. are more important yeah. than just the unit economics, right? Totally. I, I think this is something that all the best companies have in common. Like there isn't, like I, everyone has to build a priority list of, of things that are meaningful to them. Um, and, 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 and money and revenue will have to, show up somewhere because like they're companies um but like i i think putting it number one spot is incredibly overrated um it's there's I, we talk about this quite internally we're like we, we have like number one priority is let's go build the best product we can possibly build and then you know priority number two is 
let's be, let's make some revenue so that we can do more of priority number one. And then actually now priority number three is never mix one and two, right? And so, um, I, I think that's, <laughs> that's if, so if you, brilliant. Yeah. If, if you really like look at, um, like, because that seems to be the commonality, right? It's like, there's a reason why this is done, like, um, uh, why the company is built and what it's standing for. Um, and, uh, yeah, there needs to be an engine, like, um, like, but you don't drive a car just to burn fuel you burn right yeah you're not in to get the combustion right? like, engine yes, we're not opening the hood and being like wow look at yeah. how it's burning gas it's yeah, like, yeah where yeah. did it take us yeah i mean I, I guess i guess there are people who do even that like but like it's it's there it's, are people who love those engines yeah <laughs> it's like what <laughs> it's like to coal? rebuild them yeah yeah well no um, it's it relates to um investing in that i was trying to explain this the other day i said when I look back on my career, there'll be five companies that were 99% of the returns. And then there'll be 500 companies that I will have put more time into than the top five, much more time. And of those 500, 400, 450 will return zero. And those are the ones that will build my reputation. And that's what I'll be remembered for is when those companies imploded, when they didn't work out, when the founder was sitting there, in the wreckage of their dream, laying everybody off, who called them on the phone and who and who took them to dinner that night? You know, who took them for a walk and talk when it was over, right? Or when they were struggling? That's really how, you know, and, and that really is separating one and two, right? One is how supportive can you be of the founder? And two is, okay, we do need to get a return for our LPs. It's such a, and then three, don't mix those two. Right. This is the best part of the podcast. See, this is why I do the podcast, Toby, is because, I learned something every time that just changes my thinking and is the power of a, a great conversation. I love podcasts. I, I think there's just You do an internal one, right? Yes, I do. Tell me about it. Do, are you ever thinking about releasing it public? Oh my God, I'd love to <laughs> can I get a private RSS feed for that? Uh, what do you do on the internal Shopify pod? I did I I, I it's uh it's uh bi-weekly. Like I two every two weeks I release an episode. It's um it's called context. Um and it's it's just it's, it's literally about this. It's like, like the story you just told about that, that, that uh, Tony, um, uh, shared is, is a good example. There are like these sort of touchstone moments in, in, in a company's history where like it, it's really valuable to just talk about which ways could we go? Which ways did we go? And, and why did we do it? What was considered? What did we get right? Like, it's, it's not always like this, but this is sort of ambition that I, I take people back into these high context situations because I think through that people can get a much better sense for the process of, uh, the company building. And, and, um, it gives me an opportunity to, because, the pro, you know, the, the, there's a thing called Chesterton's fence, um, which is a fun, is also a fun story, but it, it basically, uh, I should never, shouldn't have been, uh, invoked it right now. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it basically, like, it's, it's a mental model that, that, that says, like, um, it's second order thinking. It's second order thinking, exactly. But before, before, like, um, before you remove a fence, try to mm. figure out why it was put there because maybe it was put up in a hurry and, and it's really not necessary and you can, 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 can just like change it. And, um, mm. or maybe there's a really good reason for it to be there, which you should figure out before you take it, uh, take it down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but a, a startup company, like a co company of any company is, um, full of fences, um, that people look at and say, yeah, you know, well, that doesn't make a lot of, you know, 
Are we sure this should be there? Let's actually move this thing. And you know what? Then all of a sudden, all the tigers come into yeah, the yeah, exactly. So, 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 like, so, put the fence like, back up. <laughs> but, but but like it's it's a bit random to people. Uh, yes. To, like which are the fen fences that we put up in a hurry because we were like just trying to go a thousand miles a minute, or, or um, which uh, fences we were very deliberate and very careful about. So um, uh, and you you don't want to be a company where no one changes any fence. Because then you're like about stasis. Let's that's putting cement into a company. So helping people, like like taking people who weren't there for the journey of, um, you know, what parts of this did we consider, which parts we didn't, did we have in a rush. I think it's valuable. Um, uh, and and so I'm making the sound too grand. Sometimes we just also no, like, talk not, about like some random grand. I mean, I things and <laughs> mental models and thinking about thinking is really the art of scaling these businesses is to ride yep. to be able to go back and say how did i make that decision and how, what were the you know in, in investing it's the anti-portfolio and um yeah what do you call oh, counterfactual i guess would be you know what would happen you know if if you killed hitler the baby or if you you know if if the nazis had won the world whatever happened like Oh my God, mm -hmm. what's the counterfactual here? And in, in really understanding in a, the archaeology of a company, now that you're 10 years old, people need, or you're more than 10, right? You're like more like 15. Mm -hmm. Like, how did we get here is a really important discussion. Um, and then I remember you talking about, uh, I heard it on some other podcast. Um, you were talking about how everybody who comes to the company is like, Hey, why don't we build a portal like Amazon and put all the stores together? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, that's not our customer. That's their customer. Our customer is the store and the merchant. And if we start focusing on their customer, we just change customers. So you don't do that, right? But does that yeah. fence ever get, do you ever think about that fence in a different way? Well, I, I, I mean, um, well, a lot, um, because I'm trying to make sure that I got this right. But like, uh, I mean, the, the answer to the, hey, let's build a marketplace thing, which is really like it it's an, it's an obvious suggestion like i i know where we keep getting it um it's it's but it it's it's hard to explain hey this is like we, like yes this is also e-commerce but that's an adjacency that's that's it's an adjacent thing to the thing that we're trying to accomplish there may be a path which we where we are going down exactly the way like on this journey we are on where we build something that people can use in some way but we're going to arrive there from a very different perspective of saying, hey, let's make another internet version of this idea, right? Like we, we, we have to come there. The path dependence matters a lot. Um, but it's like the answer is very subtle and, 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 and the, 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 the statement is very simple. Like it's a fortune cookie versus a, a, a textbook essay. And, um, I think like taking the textbook essay, compressing this into a conversation at a, at a 15 minute, 20 minute podcast and, and, um, say like being able to refer to it when people come up with the idea again is actually really, really valuable. And so this is why I, I do, I do it. It's, I think it's, I think it's like other people have podcasts within the company as well, which I love listening to as well. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a good medium. Amazon bought your competitor sells. They tried to, Bezos tried to buy you at some point. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Well, well. well. Don't know. Not a not a story you want to tell. <laughs> not a story you want to tell. <laughs> but you you declined, I guess. To be let's let's take Bezos out of it. You Shopify you, never got bought. Yes, Shopify <laughs> never get bought. We know that counterfactual. <laughs> we know that factual. Yeah. Why didn't you sell to anybody? Because there were many times that people wanted to buy you. I'll, I'll take Bezos out of this, even though I might have some information. 
so the um uh yeah like just because it didn't it didn't feel like that would be the right move in the journey like we, we were on and again because money was never like number one anyways so like mm. which which seems like that's but but like this is something i discuss whenever i talk with founders of companies that shopify might look at buying because i i i tend to it's it's uh, there's a funny dynamic where i tend to try the, to talk them out of it um which is not actually a good approach and leads to a lot less m a than <laughs> probably other sales pitches would but like i i am always very careful because um I, I i tell them um the only way we should do this deal when i i'm buying your company is if both of us agree that your job as a founder of a company will be better the day after the purchase than before and and this can be true right like um this this is youtube yeah exactly youtube like youtube twitch are good examples of companies that could not like the way uh interchange uh, sorry not interchange the way um peering agreements between isps works like they could have never run the services and um, they profitably fight the legal battle i mean it was right. going to be and literally a hundred million dollars in legal bills it would yeah, just never have worked you, you're probably your problem reason is probably your primary reason i was thinking too technical about it um no no so, is that reason as well i mean it was yeah in another era if you think back to that era of startups we didn't actually think startups could be worth more than 10 billion dollars or 20 totally billion dollars because it, it's not it, it isn't intuitive that they should right because pattern no recognition yeah. well pattern recognition just well i mean at least looking at history right pattern recognition didn't send everyone astray because we did not have software like the, the unreasonable um leverage that comes with software especially software that enables more software is just the, like what's the analogous of that there isn't any right there is no, no it such didn't, thing didn't, it, it didn't exist prior in it, history so I mean, it's, it's a complete rewriting of the boundaries evolution was so slow that we couldn't i think we look at evolution as our like archetype like okay humans evolved from monkeys monkeys evolved from these things and then we all came out of like tadpoles like and that <laughs> takes a hundred years or a thousand years or a hundred thousand years we we never thought like these things could just compound so quickly yeah, and everybody trying to compound. All right, listen, we I took you for eighty minutes, which we keep it to an hour. I can, yes, we, okay. this is a problem. We, you and I haven't seen each other in years, <laughs> and we love talking to each other. So we'll do it again in a year. Um, anything? Uh, you're you're obviously hiring lots of jobs. Who do you like to come work at Shopify? Who should come work at Shopify? We talked before about alignment and your life's work. Who who should come and be part of the mission at Shopify? And uh, who do you who do you like to have in the company? What type of person? Yeah, I mean, it's we we, we love uh, curious people who really care. Um, we 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 love people who, I mean, especially people who actually build stores. Um, always amazing, you know. Like, I mean, obviously, this is not a CV I'm going trying to put together, but like, it's 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 a place for people who are lifelong committed learners, right? Like, it's sometimes Shopify is sort of referred to in in jest as a as a, as a book club um, masquerading as a as a public company, um, and yeah. uh, it's. Um, uh, like it, 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 it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing just because I, I mean, for all sorts of reasons, I'm, but I'm very biased anyway. Like if people consider Shopify, I'm grateful. It, um, and, uh, so, yeah. but all right, listen, if you, if you're a considered person who likes to think about thinking and you like to be of service to others, Shopify is a great place to go to work. 
Toby's a really considered guy. You, you playing any video games or poker or what are you doing? You got a new video game you're playing? I know you're a StarCraft guy like me. I'm Protoss. I'm Protoss. Are you Zerg? Oh, you seem like a Zerg yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Zerg guy. Yeah. I knew you were it's a Zerg okay. guy. I've, I've only got it against you. Uh, uh, no, that's fine, it. man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to turtle. I'm going to put a bunch of cannons yeah. there. You can bring as much heat as you want. But once I get my cannons locked in, you're mm -hmm. going to lose a lot of resources trying to get past that turtling. Got it. <laughs> I literally, like, my wife comes in and she's like, you're 50 years old. You're playing StarCraft. I'm like, yes. All day long, all I do is talk to people for a living. And then I play StarCraft and I put on a podcast or I put on some Dire Straits live <laughs> obscure, you know, album from when he's playing in Munich or Paris or Barcelona or Budokan. And I just lose myself for, you know, 20 minutes, 40 minutes playing a game that I've been playing for 20 years. Yeah, totally. And it's just like games. It, it's anyway, we, we could talk for a long time about, about, about games. I, 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 I'm a very pro and a, a pro, pro video games is what I mean. Not a pro player. I'm terrible. Um, no, but no, these um, young kids are, they're a whole different level. I tried playing that game they all play. That's like a real time strategy and with the characters. That's so like Dungeons and Dragons. I forgot the name of it. God, it's the one they all play. <laughs> but the number of quick keys, I couldn't even mm -hmm. get through them. What were you saying about like why you love them? Finish with that. Well, that, well anyway, like, your thought about video games. Video games are good. Um, yeah. and, 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 and again, I think one of the unifying themes of our conversation here, uh, as, 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 as sweeping as it was, uh, going through various parts of time is, um, important things of a future look like toys today, like the, the internet of the nineties, um, crypto, uh, sometimes, uh, it probably doesn't look as much as a toy anymore, but like, I think, um, some people think it's a toy. NFTs, um, NFTs, toys. uh, yeah. probably biohacking looked like toys and just looked yep. like toys. It's, it's, it's really, 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 really important. Like if, if you want to understand the future, you have to understand today's toys. Um, and if you want to find the most caring, like, I don't know, like aggressive is probably wrong because of the negative connotation, but there's like a hungry is better, better term. Um, the hungriest, um, most interested in, 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 in progress people are probably in the video game world or in a crypto world. That's where they are right now. Right. And it just, it's, 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 you do really well to study it. Um, and it's not just for kids anymore, for sure. <laughs> all right. Listen, brother, uh, I'll let you get back to work. I look forward to seeing you after this is all over. Let's go Eventually. get some ramen or maybe me and Shabbat will come up and we'll see you. We'll do like a besties podcast. Yeah, old, old, old food uh, for yeah. Shabbat too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, it's super fun. We should totally that would be do that. Super fun. All right, brother. Yeah. Uh, continued success. And we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. <laughs>